0: Lord be with you, and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We gather to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered here for our gathered congregation at Marsh Chapel for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your choices, selections for forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. This Lenten season, as a community of hope and memory, we remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As our own Boston University professor, Gordon Parker Bound professor of philosophy, Charles Griswold, has recently written, there are very few of us who are completely innocent of the need of forgiveness. As our choir lifts the traditional Kyrie. May we come before the Lord seeking pardon and peace. Let us pray. we would not be, and but for thy grace we could not love, and but for thy grace we should not speak, but, O Lord, by thy grace we live and love and speak. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did he bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Maribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Please join us in the reading of Psalm 95 and the singing of the Antiphon. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship him, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Do not hardening your hearts as at Nabibah, as on the day at Messiah in the wilderness. When your ancestors tested me, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty days I bowed my generation and said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they do not regard my rights. Before my anger, I swore, they shall not enter my house. Now please stand as you are able for the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
3: Jesus Christ, according to Saint John, chapter four, verses five through forty-two. Glory to you. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was around noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now, he's not your husband. But what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you're a prophet, but our answer is worshipped on this mountain, and you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming. It is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as those to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one's brought him something to eat. Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this truly is the Savior of the world, the Gospel of the Lord.
0: have a full free Monday evening dinner here at Marsh Chapel every week and last Monday our volunteer cook lavishly prepared a sprawling delicious Greek meal from olives to baklava. Mmm, yummy. Thirty years ago some of us likewise took turns cooking. My grandmother used to serve a Sunday chicken dinner, biscuits, pies, creamed onions, which served as a model for what a couple of us tried to cook in those student years. We failed miserably, but Eberhard Bettke and his wife were with us that evening. With the potatoes too done and the chicken undone, not much fun, not all the conversation did stick, but some did. Bettke was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's closest friend, a spiritual brother who wrote Bonhoeffer's biography. And over semi-cooked chicken, he told us about the German Lutheran pastor, martyr, and theologian. He held up his fork and stabbed the air to make his points, in English only mildly clothed in a German accent. And with the dessert in disarray, much of the brilliance of the conversation disappeared into the din and noise of Broadway below. But phrases remain in memory, or at least in stylized remembrance. Cost of discipleship, cheap grace, man for others, world come of age, religionless Christianity. We have dedicated five Sundays of Lent 2011 at Marsh Chapel to lifting up and remembering the voice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the burned potatoes and rough chicken served 35 years ago were a prelude. Bonhoeffer was hung 32 years before that dinner, with Betke that night. April 9, 1945, Flossenburg. Bonhoeffer was martyred, a conspirator in the failed attempts to assassinate Adolf Hitler, having lived his last two years in prison, having been engaged but never married, having inspired a generation of young students to Christian service, having written books that only now, perhaps, can we fully appreciate. Bonhoeffer grew up in the height of Western culture, and acculturation and liberal inheritance he continuously affirmed. He challenged that culture, not at its depth, but at its height, not at its weakness, but at its strength, not at its worst, but at its best. So people ask today, how can you preach at a non-sectarian university? And the reply where else is real preaching truly possible? So people ask, how can you preach in utterly secular New England? And the reply, where else is anyone really free to hear the gospel? So people ask, how can you preach to sleepy, bleary-eyed 20-year-olds? The reply, who better to judge our worth for the future? Bonhoeffer would agree. Christ, he would say, is not to be found on the periphery, but in the heart at the height of human history and culture. Christ is not the Lord of religion. Christ is the Lord of life. Christ is the very center point of human life. So this season we remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in whose life and writings a liberal legacy is honored. Christ Jesus is loved and affirmed. And at least in potential, human culture is transformed in transcendence. No wonder, given our commitments at Marsh Chapel, we turn this month to him. With a warmth and grace undeserved in the face of a junior varsity dinner, Eberhard Bettke prayed with us one fine evening in 1976. Of all the phrases from that dinner hour, religionless Christianity was the most memorable. We heard about someone who desperately wanted his students to move from religion to faith, from religion to faith, from Christian religion to a religionless Christianity. Maybe you are ready for that very move this very day. One lone woman at one lone well is here to help us. In a region well-versed in religious difference and dispute, our Lord is pictured in John 4, cutting through religion. For Samaritans simply substitute the word other religious other. If Nicodemus reminds us that we are free, and he does, the Samaritan woman reminds us that we are responsible, and we are. Freedom gives birth to responsibility, John 3 to John 4. Jesus leaves the familiarity of Judah. He crosses on this memory multiple lines. He crosses over the geographical line, the gender line the racial line, the status line, the religious line. Our woman spells it out. You a Jew, I a Samaritan. Jesus Christ is the Lord of life, not the Lord of religion. He calls us from religion to faith, out of false consciousness into a whole new way of being. Spirit and truth. Our lone woman knows her Samaritan religion, Samaria, Jacob, ancestor, marriage, many marriages, holy mountain, Messiah. She is not a Jew and she is not a Christian, but you can substitute her her religious vocabulary with, with any number of similarly developed religious tongues. She knows religion. Jesus offers faith. Jesus offers her the religion of unreligion. The Jesus of the fourth fourth gospel is not easily blended with his counterparts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And rather than projecting our own needs for uniformity onto these ancient texts, holy, mysterious, puzzling, and powerful they be, we might first just listen to them. We need to let the Bible speak to us. So now the Jesus of John 4 is before us, a very different Jesus. Listen again. He sees what's in other people's minds. He knows things without being told. He divines the secrets hidden in the heart. He stands alone and in public view with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a troubled Samaritan woman. This Jesus is guided along in a lengthy, mystagogical conversation full of riddles, double entenders, hidden meetings, mysterious silences. And he offers a living water. In none of this does one find a single correspondence with the earlier three quests for Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's is entirely different. So asked one bright student, which is true? Ah, excellent question. And here is an answer. They all are. They all represent the actual historic experience of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, which various little communities in his fledgling church did have of him. All four are historically accurate. With accuracy, they describe the Jesus known in the actual lives of the communities of Mark, 40 years after Calvary, Matthew, 55 years after Calvary, Luke, 60 years after Calvary, and John, 80 years after Calvary. They give us grace and freedom to sense Jesus as they did, present among us, as he was among them. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. John's gospel is roughly the same distance from Jesus in time as we are from Bonhoeffer in time, about 80 years, from the 30s to 10. 110 or 2010 or 2011. Are you ready to move from religion to faith, to drink from the living water, to open to spirit and truth? What on earth is religionless Christianity? Clifford Green's interpretation is most helpful here. First, It is a faith that recognizes and honors the strengths and capacities of human beings. Later in life, in prison, Bonhoeffer could balance his earlier emphasis on submission of the will and ego, which we've heard about the last two weeks, with a fuller appreciation for human beings in a world come of age. He's proud of his urban culture and his tradition, which brings both freedom and responsibility. Bonhoeffer refuses to turn back the page from modern life, unlike so much religion today. He accepts the Renaissance, he accepts the Enlightenment, he accepts human autonomy as heightened in our time. In his famous phrase, man has come of age. So science, technology, social organization have given us security and confidence even if they have brought their own problems. Bonhoeffer affirms human strength scientific research, industrial and farming technology, medicine, social and economic planning. While he saw the weakness of liberal theology, said he it conceded to the world the right to determine Christ's place in the world, he never forgot its strength. It did not try to put back the clock. In these prison letters, we find a clear affirmation of the strengths of the mature person who is liberated and shaped by Christ for the service of others, especially in responsibility for corporate political life. Second, religionless Christianity is skeptical of religion. Ah, perfect for universities, young adults <laughs> in New England. Precisely ideal for Marsh Chapel, but what does he mean by religion? We proceed carefully here, for he means something different than we expect. Says he beware religion or a religious outlook that is episodic, subjective, individual, otherworldly, intellectually dishonest, self-centered. Bonhoeffer's view of religion is in a way similar to that of some famous critics that religion infantilizes. That is, if religion is keeping you from growing up, religion is not a good thing. Innocence and holiness are not the same thing. Hold on to this verse The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Third, religionless Christianity takes as its aim a grown up faith, a mature, fully human way of being in the world. Faith means maturity. Faith is freedom from narcissism and freedom for responsible existence for others. So, said Bonhoeffer, Christ is the man for others, and we are to live as he did live, a person for others. Christ crucified and thereby weak, nonetheless creates cross and resurrection, room for human strength, freedom, independence, responsibility. Strength to say, human problems have human solutions. So we need to find them. So we must find a way to live safely with nuclear energy or dispense with it. We must find a way to live peaceably across ancient Middle Eastern religious differences or suffer the consequences. We must find a way for workers and owners to honor one another or be ready to pay the price in endless strife. How did Paul put it? If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. Bonhoeffer's words carry a paradoxical power His sense of responsible freedom, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman together, is compelling. God lets us know that we must live as men and women who can manage our lives without God. The God who is with us is the God who leaves us alone. Before God and with God, we live without God. And sin consists in the lack of faith needed for commitment to free responsibility. We have these weeks of Lent 2011 committed ourselves to listen for the gospel by which we are saved in scripture, tradition, and reason. So Jesus invited the Samaritan woman to a religionless faith, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer made his appeal for a religionless Christianity. How shall we apply the gospel truth to our lives? Having turned an exegesis to John and an exposition to Bonhoeffer, we turn again for application to Franklin Littell, the first dean of Marsh Chapel, who was not in the habit of mincing words. One ongoing application for those of us who have been seized by the confession of the church, who have been loved by the faithfulness of Christ, is to find the courage To look again, to look long, to look hard, no, we're not done with it, at the Holocaust. We have yet to understand what happened to Christianity in the dark, hellish, ghoulish fires of Auschwitz. And almost alone, Littell continues to ask what the ongoing repercussions are for Christianity or the possibility of any Christianity. He reminds us unsparingly of what happened religiously in an ostensibly Christian nation. Nazism was in no sense a revolt against religion and spirituality, neither was it secularist, quite the contrary. The Fuhrer and other party orators made constant reference to divine providence, spiritual renewal, moment of decision, immortal destiny, and the like. Many of the party hymns were simply new words written to popular gospel songs with the same brass bands marching and evoking from crowds the same emotional response. The key question, and here the question of heresy arises, is why millions of baptized and confirmed Christians had no sense that they were now responding to visions and programs antithetical to the biblical faith. Two years after the dinner with Eberhard Betke, a few of us were privileged to meet a scholar who had just been hired at Boston University, Ellie Bissell. Our 1979 dinner with him in New York came before we had read anything of his work. He was very kind and very quiet. Now we have spent, since 2006, nearly five years in Boston. The lectures Wiesel gives every fall here provide a profound moral compass, a serious historical point of reference for all the rest of our educational work and especially for the preaching of the Gospel. Here again the end of the most striking passage from his book Night and the memory of a child who was hung. For more than half an hour he stayed there struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony under our eyes and we had to look him full in the face. He was still alive when I passed in front of him Behind me, I heard the same man asking, Where is God now? And I hear a voice within me answer him, Where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here on this gallows. How are we to live with faith in earshot of this passage? We need the faith of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor, teacher, witness who struggled against this hell. His life gave life to his words. The responsible person tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God. The Christian is a person for others. Hear the gospel. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen.
4: Dear friends, as we turn our hearts to prayer, we seek to become religionless Christians living together in this community of Marsh Chapel. And as our hearts turn, we would do well to listen to these words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, Innumerable times a whole community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with them a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be, and to try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and, if we are fortunate, with ourselves. We turn our hearts to prayer as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. God, holy and mighty, holy and eternal, we gather today as a community seeking to be religionlessly Christian. We journey together in these weeks along the path of Lent, of discipline, of renunciation, toward your resurrection on Easter Sunday. We seek to be a community of people moving toward a resurrection spirit. And as we seek to be people in community, we remember also these words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let the one who cannot be alone be aware, beware of community. Let the one who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Most Holy God, we ask you to guide us by your grace along this journey of Lent that we may avoid the pitfalls of solitude without community or community without solitude. For we know that only by your grace can we achieve the resurrection at its end in your grace. We remember, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer told us, that cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the Church. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks' wares. Cheap grace means grace as doctrine, a principle, a system. Cheap grace means justification of sin without justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. And so, dear God, as we move to become a religionlessly Christian community, we ask you to take up in our hearts a movement of costly grace. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field, the pearl of great price, the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets to follow Christ. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which we each must knock. And so, dear God, as we, seeking to be a community of religionless Christianity, journey together along the pathway of Lent, we ask your Son, Jesus Christ, guide our steps, of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again this morning and invite you to help us to get you know, to get to get to know you better and help you to get to know one another better by passing along the red pews fa- pads found along the center aisle of each pew and putting your name and contact information there so that we can be in touch throughout the week. We would note that the this coming Sunday will be a Communion Sunday. The following Sunday, April 10th, the Marsh Chapel Choir will pre- uh, present excerpts of Bach's St. Matthew Passion as the fourth and final part of our Bach uh, series for the year. The following Saturday, the Chapel Choir and Collegium, under the direction of Dr. Scott Ellen Jarrett, will perform the entire, uh, entirety of Bach's St. Matthew Passion here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, April 16th at 7.30 p.m. We do hope you will join us. Now walk in love as Christ loves us an offering and offering in sacrifice to God.
5: He's always, he's always with me.
3: God, look into our hearts. Keep us mindful in this season of Lent that excessive material goods will always leave us thirsting with unquenchable desire. Accept our offering with the unprejudiced love promised to us by you through Christ. Amen.
0: Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever.